You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. This faithfulness to us, it means everything in all of this world. Let me ask you, if you will, please to open your Bible to the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. If you're here this morning for the first time, let me say that you're here for the closing series or the closing two messages in a series of messages entitled, For the Rest of My Life. These are character qualities, characteristics, which ought to describe every person here. And it could be that as you look back across your past, you say, but I have not exhibited those. And the purpose of this series is to encourage you that with this truth, and that is that from this service today until you meet the Lord Jesus. In other words, for the rest of your life, whether he comes in the air or you meet him at your death time, these are characteristics which you can exhibit. You can possess them. And we've seen how very important they are. We've looked at the importance of devotion. For the rest of my life, I will be a devoted man. For the rest of my life, I will be a directed man or woman. In other words, I'll receive my direction from God. For the rest of my life, I will be a decisive individual. When God shows me his plan, his will, through his word, by his spirit, I will decide immediately that that is what I will do. For the rest of my life, I will be a diligent person. I will be a daring individual. For the rest of my life, I will be disciplined. That means I'll bring all the energies God has given me to focus on his plan for my life. For the rest of my life, I will be determined. I will be discerning. My, what an important characteristic for our lives. I will be a delivered person. And in our last meeting together, we thought together about what it means to walk in victory day by day as a child of God, to walk in that atmosphere of deliverance. He has certainly delivered us from, well, the penalty and the power and can deliver us day by day, moment by moment, as we surrender to him from the practice of sin. This morning, I want you to consider this quality. For the rest of my life, I will be a dependable man or woman, a dependable individual. Now, I must confess to you that as we think together about this issue of dependability, it's going to require more than just this setting here this morning. And I want to urgently encourage you to return for the next service this evening because there's so much information for us to cover that is essential as we think together about dependability, dependability. Now, when we think of dependability in the Bible sense, it is more than our contemporary definition would admit. For instance, we think of dependability in terms of a, a watch that takes a licking and keeps on ticking. One of my grandchildren has that name. In fact, I call him Timex because he takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And um, we think about our watch. We put, people want to buy a car because it's dependable. But in the Lord's sense of dependability, there's so much more to it. Because, you see, God wants us as men and you ladies, God wants us to do more than what we've simply been asked to do, although that seems enough. In God's eyes, a dependable person is an individual who not only do, does 
what has been asked, he does all else he sees is needed to be done. Dependability is not a matter of staying in there for a certain period of time. It is a matter of staying in there till the end. King Asa started out his reign, and we read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Don't turn there. I just want to use him as an illustration. He started out his reign. The Bible says he did all that which was right before God. He tore down all the altars. There was great revival among the people of God. But you remember in the very end, in the closing, the waning years of his life out of fear, he turned to godless people, made a treaty with them in order that he might defeat the Israelites, the northern kingdom. And do you remember that statement God makes in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9? Asa says, God, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth that he might find a man to prove himself strong on behalf of a man whose heart is perfect toward him. God wants to throw his weight on the side of a man who is dependable. That means not only an individual who says, okay, that's the law under compulsion, I will do it, but says, God, what do you want from me for the rest of my life? I'm in here to the finish. You know, there's certain people you can send to do tasks and you know they're going to do exactly what you ask them to do, and that is commendable. But there are others you choose because of their dependability, their reliability, or shall we use the word their trustworthiness, because you know when they arrive on the scene, not only will they do their best to accomplish what you've asked, but if things are different, if a crisis occurs, they're going to do right anyway. In whatever the setting, they are going to do right. They're going to look beyond what is on the surface. They're going to see to the heart of the issue and seek to address it with the principles of God a person who is dependable, more than an individual who just shows up, does what is necessary, and goes home. It's hard to find people who will do that. But an individual who is, whose heart is in his life and in his work, whose heart is in his ministry, who, as he is dealing with you, is wanting to do more than just help you along the way, who's looking beyond that and would love more than anything else to see your life change as a result of something that he says or she says or something he or she does. An individual who can be depended upon to bring the grace of God into every situation. I know of individuals who can almost be aggravating with their dependability. Well, that's what you asked me to do, isn't it? Yes. Well, is there anything wrong with that? No, but there was... You could have just... If you had only said, or if your attitude had been... you understand what I'm saying? Dependability in God's sense is what happens when your heart joins the activity. And when God begins to move through you to bring to the situation not only what has been demanded, but what has been needed. Dependability. I believe every lady out here would love to have it said of her husband. He is a dependable man, not only in the setting at home, but at work and when he's away from home. And under whatever kinds of circumstances he may be found, you can depend upon him to rely upon God, to bring God in the situation. Every man would love to have it said of his wife, I can trust in her. She is dependable. Not only she's just there and the food's on the table, no, but you can count on my wife. You can count on this lady bringing the grace of God to bear upon every situation. 
dependability, going beyond what is asked and giving what is needed. I remember a, a mother saying to me one time, she said, Brother Tom, we have a problem in our home. And I don't want you to misunderstand me, she said. It's not that my husband is not a wonderful husband. It's not that he's not a wonderful man. She says, I love him with all of my heart. And she said, there's not anything in this world that I could ask him to do that he would not try to do. He would cross this earth to try to please me. He would do anything I ask him to do. But the problem is, so often, I have to ask him to do it. She said, let me explain. Maybe my husband and my son or daughter will be having a discussion and uh, it'll be a little bit irritating and, and there's some tough words and one will go to one room and he'll go in the den and sit there with a the newspaper in his hand and, and she said, it would just take a word. And I, I'll just say to him, sweetheart, don't you think you ought to go? And he said, sure, I'll, I'll go settle that. But she said, I so long for him to see that and take the initiative. If I could just depend upon him doing that. It's just that he has to be asked. Let me ask you this question. Are you going through life just sort of dragging your feet saying, I'll do whatever anyone asks me to do. I'll do whatever's in the contract to do. I'll do whatever's down there in printing. But my heart's not in this business of living. Dear friend, God is searching for a man whose heart is perfect toward him. God says, if I find that man, if he can be depended upon in every instance to bring my grace to the situation, God says, I will throw my weight on that man's side. And boy, that's a lot of weight. I will throw my weight, says God, that I might prove myself strong on behalf of that man. Dependability. Did you know that that is such a rare quality that it is very, very difficult to find in the Bible illustrations of men who are dependable, absolutely dependable. But I want to point you to one of those men. I may, you may be thinking of Daniel or perhaps you would think of Josiah. I want you to look with me at the life of Joseph. In just a few moments, we're going to stand together. We're going to be reading from the Word of God. And the text for this day is the book of Genesis beginning with chapter 37 and ending with chapter 50, although we're not going to read all those verses. We're going to read just a few verses in a few moments when we stand together. Joseph, you will remember, was one of the sons of Jacob. He was the youngest at the time of his departure. There was another young man who was born later on, Benjamin. Joseph was loved by his father. As a matter of fact, because he was the, the last born, the baby boy, Joseph was doted upon by his father. Some say to his harm, I don't know. But at any rate, more than just the tunic, which the normal man would wear. Uh, Joseph's father gave him, sometimes as we grow up, we hear a coat of many colors. It probably was, but it was also more than that. It was a coat that indicated royal heritage. It was probably long-sleeved and made of many different pieces of cloth, and uh, it hung lower than an average tunic would. And it was a, a coat that seemed to indicate royalty. And you remember that Joseph told his brothers on one occasion, he said, you know, guys, I had a dream. Let me just tell you what the dream is. We were out uh, in the field and we were binding sheaves and, and my sheep stood up and your sheaves bowed down. Boy, that really made these boys happy. And later on, he said, I had another dream. And, and the, they said, well, what's that dream? He said, well, I dreamed that the, the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down to my star. And even his father said, do you think we're going to do obeisance to you? But the Bible says his father thought about it. 
what God was signifying through that dream. Because you see, God, at the age of 17, Joseph was 17, God was giving Joseph an indication of how he was going to use him. You remember what happened, an actual event. Joseph went out to tend to the needs of his brothers who were out tending sheep near Dothan, which means two springs. And uh, his brothers saw him coming. They so despised him. They plotted originally for his death, but Reuben, one of his older brothers, thought, no, we don't want to kill him. And so he said, look, just drop him in this pit. Reuben fully intended to come back later on and rescue him from the pit. But then they looked up on the horizon, and here were these caravans as they traveled down. That was the Via Maris, the way of the sea, not the way of the kings. And so they came down the way of the sea by the Mediterranean Sea, and, and it was Judah who said, look, let's just sell him into the hands of these traveling merchantmen, and they did. And it wasn't very long before Joseph found himself sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. And what we're going to hear as we look through the Scripture this morning and again this evening is a story of riches to rags to riches to rags to riches. And through it all, Joseph was dependable, worthy of trust. Now, before we read this Scripture, because I want you to begin thinking about it, what I want us to see today is not how a trustworthy or a dependable man looks on the outside. I want you to look with me at the deep down dynamics. In other words, what is it that will make a man a dependable man? What has to happen in your life? What are some things you need to know? What are some confidences you need to have? If the external appearance, the outward manifestation is that you are dependable, reliable, trustworthy, what's going to have to happen on the inside? And so we're going to be looking at these deep issues, the deep dynamics of a dependable man. We're going to be looking at a man's heart. I want you to think about that as we stand together and read the Scripture. Stand with me. We're reading chapter 39, beginning with verse 1. Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand, and Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, put all that he had... Uh, and all, rather, that he had into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left... By the way, let me just say, it is important for you to contemplate who you have in your home. I'm not talking about just visiting so that you might minister to but it is important for you to contemplate who it is you invite to be a guest in your home. Over and over in the Scripture, we speak about the blessing of God coming upon a home because of a guest who was there. And that's what happened here, it says here. came to pass from the time that he'd made him overseer in his house, over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He knew not all he had save the bread which he did. He said, 
In other words, Potiphar said, as long as you put the food in front of me, I'm trusting you with the rest of it. And Joseph was a goodly person, well-favored. In other words, he was, he was a handsome person. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. She said, lie with me. This sounds like a soap opera now, doesn't it? But he refused. He said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knows not what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he listened not to her to lie by her. Notice this. He wouldn't even spend time with her or to be with her. It came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within and she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out of there. It came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of the house and spoke unto them. And you know what she said? She says, he tried to force me. When he heard me yelling, he ran. And of course, by the time Potiphar got home, she leveled that same charge at him and Potiphar had him put in prison. Notice verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But now look at this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, that is Joseph, and that which he did the Lord made to prosper. I mean, even in a prison, the prison keeper is saying, look, I trust you with everything. That's the same thing Potiphar had said. You're going to discover later on it's the same thing that Pharaoh says, I trust you with everything I have. You see, Joseph was a dependable man. He didn't just do what he was told. He brought the grace of God to bear in every situation. And Father, I pray, trusting that you will help us to understand the deep dynamics, what must go on in the heart of a man if he is to be found faithful, if he is to be found dependable, reliable, trustworthy. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open now to this 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. If you're going to end up being a dependable person, somewhere down deep in your heart, the following things are going to have to take place. It's not something that you can learn in a class or in a course. It's not something that you can just suddenly come to possess in this service this morning. These are the workings of God inside a man. God might choose to do this in your heart this morning. I pray that he will. But if you are to experience these things which I'm going to mention in these two services, God will have to give it to you. Say, Brother Tom, what are these dynamics that must take place in my heart? I want to be found dependable. I want to be reliable. I want to be trustworthy. What needs to take place in my heart? First of all, you must become content with God's purpose for your life. You must become content with God's purpose for your life. I know that there's probably very few people who would not want to have more in terms of wealth than they have right now, but you know the Bible says that godliness with 
contentment is great gain. Now, to be content does not mean that you have to lack ambition or drive or energy or dreams or goals. It doesn't mean that at all. I mean, Joseph was a man who was possessed with unusual energy, but he was a man who had grown content with God's purpose in his life. Now, we did not read it, but I would refer you for just a few moments to the 37th chapter of Genesis, where God begins to intimate to Joseph, I have a plan for your life. It exceeds what's taking place here in your home. It exceeds what's going to take place in your work as a shepherd or as the son of Jacob. I have made promises to your father. I'm going to fulfill them in you. Joseph, I have a purpose for your life. Joseph didn't understand it. What does it mean, moon and star, sun, moon and stars bowing down to me? What does it mean when my brothers represented by these sheaves bow down to me? I don't understand it, but I know God has a plan for my life. Now, dear friend, I suppose one of the things I believe personally brings the greatest destruction to the hearts of many men is that they do not have a sense of God's purpose in their life and that there are others who who seem to know what it is God wants them to do, but they cannot get happy with it. They constantly want someone else's ministry, someone else's life, someone else's position, someone else's place, someone else's house, someone else's car, someone else's wife, or someone else's husband. It's just that they cannot get content with what God has given them as their place, their purpose in life. I'm not talking about here about social strata. I'm talking about the ministry God has invested in you. Let me give you an illustration. The Apostle Paul. How is it that the Apostle Paul could be used by God to touch over two-thirds of the Mediterranean world in a brief ten years No radio, no television, no books as we know them, no newspapers as we know them, only primitive means of transportation. Over two-thirds of the Mediterranean world was touched by that man's life. How could that happen? It is because Paul came to a point where he was content to be what God wanted him to be. Don't you know that every place the Apostle Paul went, they said, look, you are trilingual at least. He probably spoke more than three languages. You are trilingual. You can move among the Jews. You can move among the Gentiles. You can move among the Romans, the Greeks, the Hebrews with your language. You are a brilliant person. Paul, stay here. We've got a job for you. But Paul said this, I have been separated, that word aparizo. We get our word horizon from it. He says this, God has drawn a perimeter amount around my life. In my instance, said the Apostle Paul, God wants me to be an itinerant evangelist, conference speaker and theologian and missionary and church planter. That's what God wants me to be. It's intriguing all this other, but I can't think about it. God has made a perimeter about my life and I have come to peace. I have come to terms with that perimeter. You know what it will do for you? Do you know how it will create dependability in you if you will get content with God's purpose in your life? Find it and get content with it. You know what it will do for you? Let me just mention a couple of things. First of all, it will eliminate fretfulness. It will eliminate fretfulness. People who are not dependable are often among those who are fretful. Let me give you an illustration of this. I think this is a 
a perfect illustration. Over in the 31st chapter of Proverbs, you don't need to turn there either, but there we have the, uh, all the ascription of praise to the woman of virtue. Now, here's what it says about her husband. It says he's known in the gates when he sits there. And his heart safely trusts in her so that he has no need of spoil. Now, you know what that means? That means that as that man goes to work, that he and his wife have such communion among themselves and they have such absolute confidence in each other that he doesn't believe he's got to go out and do something great or ambitious or make some kind of a business kill in order to make her happy. She is not driving him by her dissatisfaction with who he is and what he's doing. So he has no need of spoil. He doesn't have to go out here and make this kill, that kill, drag stuff home in order to say, well, I bought you a new car. Well, I've got this. Well, we're going to live here. Well, I've done this. Well, now, what do you think about me now as a provider? Well, I've gotten this position. What do you think about me now? You know what kind of people are often the ones you cannot depend on? They're the people who, who, who are constantly concerned about whether they're in the right place, doing the right thing, whether this is God's purpose for their life, and they're fretful. And because they're fretful, they're always trying to figure out another way, another plan in their mind. Let me give you an illustration. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down. They shall wither as, a gr uh, as grass. They shall wither as the green herb. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your life. Commit your way to the Lord, and he also shall bring it to pass. What? He will bring your, forth your righteousness as the noon day. You know what that means? That a man who knows what God wants him to be and what God wants him to do is a man who has an element of patience in his life. He's not always trying to engineer his success. He knows God is in charge of it. Let me tell you something. You, you, when is it noon? It's noon when it's noon. You can't speed up noon. You can't slow it down. And here's what he's saying. A man who's got a sense of purpose in his life, like Joseph, he had a sense of purpose in his life. And here are all these things happening to him. He's been thrown into a pit. He's been taken to Potiphar's house. He's been elevated to, to a position in Potiphar's house of great honor and great trust. Now he finds himself in prison. If he was the average one of us, he would be calling for this and calling for that and saying, I've got to figure out a way to do this. No, but he had such a sense of God's plan in his life. He said, I can wait. When noon comes, it'll be noon. And he will bring forth my righteousness as the noon day. It will eliminate fretfulness. It will encourage faithfulness. When God has given you his will for your life and you are willing to comply with it and you get content with it, then you can faithfully go. You know, Joseph didn't have to worry about where he was. Now listen, Joseph didn't have to worry about where he was. He just had to concern himself with his attitude about where he was. He didn't have anything to do with being thrown in the pit any more than he had to do with being sold to Potiphar any more than he had to do with being in prison. What he had to concern himself with was his attitude about where he was. And Joseph, because he had a sense of God's purpose, Joseph was content to let God do his work his way. 
Now you say, Joseph, if God told you that you're going to be the deliverer of your father and your mother and the deliverer of your brothers, your family, if they're going to end up down in Egypt, man, you need to go to school. You need to get this. You need to train for this. You need to train for that. Man, you need to get busy. Time's wasting. You're going to miss the opportunities. Get you together. So, no, no, let me tell you something. You couldn't have made it to the top of Egypt any quicker than Joseph did. He was 17 when he arrived there. He was 30 when he was prime minister of Egypt. Some 13 years later, he sits, as he said, as Pharaoh's grandfather. He doesn't lift a finger without consulting me, said Joseph. So get content with God's purpose in your life. Number two, down deep in your heart, if you're going to be a dependable man, you must be conscious of God's presence in your life. You must be conscious of God's presence in your life. I stopped to draw your attention to it a few moments ago when we were reading the Scripture, but did you see how many times in the Scripture, and not only here but elsewhere in the next several chapters, it says, and God was with Joseph. Now, just a couple of things, and, and we'll move on. I don't want to park here very long. Here was the issue. God's presence was Joseph's vital interest. I mean, it was vital to him that God was on him. Let me give you an illustration. If you were in Joseph's position and were thrown in prison, what would be your vital interest? Your vital interest would probably be like mine. My vital interest would be getting out, not Joseph's. His vital interest was getting to God. See, if I was suddenly stricken with some illness that uh, maybe the physician said, well, that's a terminal illness, and, and you're, you know, what would be my vital interest? My vital interest would be getting well. Joseph's vital interest would have been getting to God in this situation. You see, if my family was falling apart and my marriage was fracturing, I think my vital interest would be hurrying up and finding, you solve this, get this, protect yourself, get, you know, get on out of Dodge and down the road. But Joseph's vital interest was finding God. It was his vital interest. As a matter of fact, later on when Pharaoh had this dream, you remember the, the fat cows eaten by the skinny cows, and the fat ears of corn eaten by the skinny ears of corn. And Pharaoh said, okay, tell me what that means. Joseph said, let me go get my slide rule and let me just figure this thing out and read a few of your books and I'll tell you what it means. He said, it's not in me. He said, it's in God though. It's in God. Let me get... It's in God. Let me get to God. And I'll tell you, dear friend, God is bringing some of you in, in your heart, it just seems like you're going down, down, down. Things are getting worse, worse, worse. Business, family, life, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. You know what? If you're a child of God, God is waiting for you to turn your eyes to him. And so that was a vital interest to Joseph, it ought to be a vital interest to you. God's presence, where is God in this? And by the way, it was visible in Joseph, and if you get there, it'll be visible in you. What did Potiphar say about uh, Joseph? God's with him. What did Pharaoh say about Joseph? God's with him. What did the prison keeper say about Joseph? God's with him. 
because each of those people trusted Joseph implicitly. They said, we'll go, we, we don't have any worries. Joseph, you're in charge of the prisoner. prison. That's like leaving the zoo in the hands of the animals. Joseph, I'm, I'm going away. I'll, you know, Joseph's running the prison today. Joseph's running my house today. Joseph's running Egypt today. So don't worry. Why? There was something about him. The Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, I don't know all that that means because I know the Lord Jesus also said, I came not to bring peace but a sword. I understand that. We are to be a challenge to our society. But I have discovered that the most godless of individuals has a certain admiration for a person whose life is so sold out to God that he can be counted upon to live by the principles of God. They would say, I may not agree with what you believe, but I like the way you act. I like your faithfulness, your trustworthiness, your reliable characteristics of your life. How does that come? That comes when you're conscious of God's presence in your life. Let me ask you, are you conscious of the presence of God in your life? If you're not, this morning, the very first thing you may want to do is come to this altar, say to one of these counselors, I need to receive Christ by faith as my Savior. Or maybe you need to simply come and kneel and say before God, Dear God, I have let so much of my plans interfere. I've never even sought you in these matters. There is a consciousness, a deep down consciousness. I'm content with God's plan. I'm conscious with his presence. All right, number three. This is something that has to happen way down deep inside you. If you're going to be found to be a dependable man or woman of God, this has got to be down deep inside you. This is where it begins. You will be careful with God's provision for your life. You will be careful with God's provision for your life. Now, dear friend, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Stewardship, that's called overseership. That means overseeing what has been entrusted to you. Sometimes we say stewardship because a steward is a New Testament name for overseer, a steward. So we talk about stewardship, how you take care of what God has provided for you. Do you know how you have the privilege of being faithful with much? By being faithful with little. That's what the Scripture says. When God trusts you with something and you're faithful with it and you're found reliable, dependable, trustworthy, then God can trust you with more. But if God gives you little and in that little you're still pouting and saying, this is not enough, I can't be a good steward, how can a person live on this? And you will not be faithful with a little. God is under no obligation and certainly he would be foolish to give you more. And you think stewardship is something outside. It has to do with stuff. It has to do with junk. It has to do with money. It has to do with houses. It has to do with cars. Oh, that's not where it begins. That's where it ends. It has to do with your heart. And Joseph was a man who could be trusted as a young boy. Son, take these provisions to your brothers. As a slave, what did Potiphar say? As long as the food's there when I need it, 
I'm happy because Joseph, I know no one is reliable and as trustworthy as you. What do the prison keepers say? Joseph, I just know it's in your heart to be dependable. I'm going to leave the prison in your charge. What did Pharaoh say later on? Joseph, there is no man found in all of Egypt in whom dwells such a spirit. He was 30 years of age. Give this young man the job. Why? Because in his heart he is reliable. He is dependable. He's trustworthy in his heart. I tell you, people hate stewardship sermons. They don't like to talk about money because, you see, they do not realize that money is a heart issue. It's usually the last vestige of resistance we have against God. It's the last way of, of, of we have of saying, God, I don't really trust you. I can't really trust you. I watched a couple walk out. I'm not going to mention their name right now because I'm so blessed by these folks. I watched a couple walk out of my office the other night after we had talked together. They had come to say, we believe God is calling us into missions. And tears were in my eyes, for here's what they said. The husband said, do you know when this started, Brother Tom? And I'm going to just sort of cut through it all. He said, uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, he said, we finally began tithing. What is that? That is dependable stewardship. See, people say, well, I can't afford to do that because, see, tithe is a percentage, not an amount. Well, then do you want me to pray? Should we pray that God will reduce what you have down to where you think you can afford it? Where your tithe is only a dollar, maybe. You know, maybe you say, hey, I can handle a dollar, you know. But he said, here's what, he said, my wife, he said, after struggling about it with all these, he said, we began tithing. He said, God just began ministering to our family. And he said, later on, we decided, he said, we we're going to give some, he said, we gave up our television. We didn't know what we were going to do with all the spare time, but we started reading books and the Bible, and God began ministering to us. And he said, finally, God's brought us to the point, and I'm just cutting through this, where we want to give up our lives to him. Now, what happened? There came a moment, you say, oh, God got their heart in missions. No, God got their heart way back here with the issue of what is one thing you have never trusted to me? Well, it's our, our resources. Will you trust me? If you will show that you trust me there, I'll show that I can be dependent upon, God says, in any arena of your life. I will open up windows of heaven, pour you out blessings you'll not receive. You'll not receive any other way. You can't handle them, but you start by just indicating that you will be careful with the provisions I am entrusting to you. I'll tell you, if there's anything we know about Joseph, it is that he was careful with everything that came his way. He said, you know, we're going to put this over here. We're going to handle this this way. We're going to, we're going to take... It's amazing how a prisoner runs. The, he's not the captive. He's the captain. He's not the victim. He's the victor. You say, I know he, how he did that. No, he got down there and he engineered. No, he didn't engineer anything. You see, he was content with God's purpose in his life. Yeah, well, he had to talk to the right people. No, he was just conscious of God's presence in his life. 
Yeah, well, he cut a deal. No, he was just careful with God's provision in life. And dear friend, every one of those is a heart issue. And until somehow, by the grace of God, it happens in your heart, you will never be, in spite of how hard you try, you will never be a dependable person, worthy of the trust of God and others. Can you imagine it? Joseph not only trusted God, God trusted Joseph. Wow. And it happened because of what God did in his heart. That's just the first three. The last three are more important, if you can imagine it. No time right now for that. Would you bow your hearts before the Lord in prayer? Father in heaven, I pray this morning you would have found every one of us out. Oh, dear God in heaven, how I pray your Holy Spirit will bring to this altar people who will just say yes to you. God, I pray you'd bring husbands and wives to kneel at this altar and say, Lord, make us dependable, trustworthy, reliable people. I pray, Lord, you would bring to this all of those who would say, Lord, I want to live with a day-by-day -day sense of your presence in my life and others who would say, Lord, I have been so careless with your provision. Lord, make me careful. Lord, let it be a heart issue. Help me to see that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Every good thing in my life is yours. You are owner. The earth is the Lord's, the, the, world, the, the world and they that dwell therein. Lord, we know you own everything. We own nothing. We're just stewards. But, oh, God, do something in our heart to make us careful with the provision you have given to us. Now, fathers, we come to this invitation time. Our hearts are bowed before you in gratitude and praise because we believe you'll be speaking to the hearts of many people this morning, bringing them to you to say yes to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing that wonderful hymn only trust him only trust him and this is your invitation to say yes to god i'm going to ask our counselors to come and stand right now when we stand as god speaks to your heart i want to urge you to make your way forward you'll not be alone count alone counselors will be coming we're going to ask others who made decisions in earlier services to come and be seated where it says seating for new members if we haven't introduced you yet such as these people who were baptized this morning i believe there are those of you who this morning who would say my heart's desire is to trust christ You'd have to say, Tom, I've not sensed the presence of God in my life. Never have, really. In one sense of the word, I've had some emotional moments, but the day-by-day -day sense that the Lord is alive in me. And you say, what I need is to trust Jesus. I want Christ to dwell within me. Well, I would encourage you to come and just say to a counselor, look, I want to receive Christ. That's all. I want to receive Christ. It's not the words, you see. It's that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and we're all sinners. Jesus has risen from the grave. He is alive today. He will give you life and forgiveness if you will receive him by faith as your Savior. And so I would urge you to come and just say to one of these men, I want to receive Christ. As a matter of fact, you may say it in your heart right now and come and just say to them, look, back there where I was seated, I opened my heart and asked the Lord Jesus to come in, be my Savior and Lord. Cleanse me and forgive me. Well, just tell one of these counselors, I would urge you, some of you here this morning, want to become a part of this church family. And I would urge you to make that decision this morning. Maybe you're a university student. You want to come up on watch care from your church back at home. Just plug your life in right here. Maybe you've just arrived in town. Maybe you've been here for a long time. You've been looking for a place to serve. 
God has brought you to this place. Won't you come this morning and say yes to God in this service this morning? The altar is also open. Many may want to come and just kneel and say, Lord, you found me out this morning, and I want to say yes to you. And you want to do that in prayer. I would urge you to make that decision. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, as we stand, we stand before you eagerly desiring to say yes to you. Father, we want to be dependable, trustworthy people. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would move in power in this place right now. I pray it. Amen.